Welcome to the Parents Place podcast with Hillary and Jen. Welcome to the Parents Place podcast today. We are excited that you guys are with us. We have our story of resilience week with us today. And so and so we um Jen and I are excited to introduce our guest. Uh her name is Julie, Julie Card, and she has quite the story that she wants to share. I'm excited to get to know her a little bit more. So Julie, I'm just going to turn the time over to you. And if you want to tell a little bit about you and who you are, and then go ahead and tell us about uh, your experiences that you've had. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So I will tell you that about two hours ago, I decided it should probably be important for me to look up what resiliency really means (laughs) to see if I actually fit the definition. And and I'm going to be honest. I was like, well, some of them are like springing back, bouncing back. And I was like, no, I, I, I don't really feel like I did that. Um, one of them was like bouncing back in, into shape. And and I would like to add a caveat to that. Okay. And just say that I would imagine that with every one of our life experiences, that when we bounce back, we never bounce back to the actual shape we were in before. Mm-hmm. We're always a different yes. shape, right? Julie- so I don't really know what shape I am now. You know what, Jen and I have had this discussion on our podcast before that we don't necessarily love that definition either. I I think that, you know, and we've we've said this before, you have this visual of a spring, you know, and, and a spring instantaneously goes back to its, like you said, to its previous shape. And when we have these experiences in our life, whatever those experiences are, I don't think we go back to who we were before. Oftentimes, I don't think we want to go back to who we were before. Mm -hmm. I think the hope with resilience is that we learn through these experiences and through this process and essentially, in the end, become a better person having lived through it. So I I think you're exactly right when you you look at that definition and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I... if I bounced back or if I am bouncing back or if I'm back to who I was before, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the goal. So yeah, resilience looks different for everybody. And I I think for some people that recovery process happens quickly and for others that may not, but I, I don't think you're looking into the past. I think it's more of a moving forward into the future now at this stage, at least in my opinion. So Fair enough. I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. Well, first off, I I would say I I listened to some parts of your resiliency previous podcasts. And certainly everybody has kind of a topic that they settle on. Um, There was one gentleman who kind of talked about a few things. And I thought, you know, that's really that's really all of us. Right. Like we're not just that one thing or that one event that happened were kind of a culmination of all these events that made us bounce back into different shapes. And so I would say for me, um, the bouncing started when I was 29 and that's when I was pregnant with my second child. His name is Isaac. And my first pregnancy was a high risk pregnancy. So we kind of had an assumption that the second one would be the same. And 
I was really sick. I have something called hyperemesis when I'm pregnant. Um, and because of that, I ended up with a pick line that ended up causing a blood clot right above my heart. So I was mm -hmm. hospitalized for that. And I was just like, this is my sacrifice. <laughs> Here I am, like, like I, 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 I can basically just lay there in bed, give myself shots in the belly for the blood clot. I was supposed to, you know, be 10 minutes away from a hospital in case the blood clot moved. And I was like, absolutely, this is sacrifice. So one afternoon, my husband and I were out at the movie theaters with our oldest, who was almost four at the time. And I just didn't feel well. Granted, I hadn't felt well for seven months, but I just kind of felt a little bit off. And since we'd met our out-of-pocket maximum, I was like, well, let's just go to the hospital. So uh, we went to the hospital where they hooked me up and I kind of just felt like a, a little over paranoid mom. And I was told, nope, everything's great. Uh, you can put your clothes on and go. And so as I started putting my clothes on, there was a shift change and the new doctor came in on shift and less than 10 minutes later, a nurse came in and said, the new doctor looked at the, the monitoring and um, we need to fly you, you need to fly up to LDS hospital. And I thought that they were being metaphorical, like just drive fast. Cause I was at American Fork and they're like, the helicopter will be here in 10 minutes. And so I, I mean, I know that I went into shock. Um, my husband and my child at that time, they just took off. So I was just left by myself in sitting in this empty room wondering what the hell just happened to my life, right? And so I was life flighted up there and the nurse made a comment to me about, now your baby will, probably, your baby will be born and probably just be in the NICU for a while. And then when we got on the helicopter and the, the staff on there took a pair of scissors and cut my shirt open, I just thought, this, this doesn't feel like, like just a let's get to a hospital kind of situation, right? Anyhow, I had an emergency C-section and my son Isaac was born. And then pretty soon after he was born, he was transported up to Primary Children's Hospital where... Um, where he lived for two days until my husband and I had to withdraw life support. And so initially I felt really full of faith. I felt surrounded by, by angels seen and unseen. You know what I mean? My family was great. Friends were great. Support was great. And I just felt like this is, this is the pinnacle. This is, this is the, the transforming life event, right? And it just didn't, occurred to me that that's not how life really works as far as um, a one and done kind of situation. And so that was a little naive, obviously. I, I really struggled after his loss, as any parent does after they lose a child. And um, I wasn't I, there was no bouncing back. There was just a lot of keto and laying around in my nightgown and letting my oldest watch Barney videos over and over again ad nauseum, right? <laughs> so I was connected with a group at that time called Share Parents of Utah. 
and I went to their support meetings and they had them once a month at the hospital. And that was the only place that I could connect with other lost parents, which felt very validating for both my husband and I, just because I didn't really know any other lost moms except for my grandma. Mm -hmm. And in our neighborhood, it was just like everybody was having babies every other day that were healthy and well, and we couldn't even, you know, get a second child here alive. So I, I didn't feel like I could relate to the surroundings that I was in, even though everybody was very kind and gracious. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, um, grief just takes a toll on people. It's just a really long road that you just have to slog through a lot of mud period, end of story. I personally was fortunate enough that I got to have my rainbow baby 17 months later. Mm. Although that didn't mean that the grief was gone. It just meant that I had a different way to process it now while taking care of a newborn. Yeah. Right. Um, A few years later, my husband and I ended up getting a divorce. And I was like, wait, this isn't part of the plan either. You know, we just already go through this thing that for couples breaks a lot of them. How is this happening now after almost 14 years of marriage? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got really sick right after that and had to have a emergency hysterectomy. So no more kids for me, whether I wanted them or not. Right. And then I, I did get remarried and got four bonus children. Mm-hmm. add to my two and then a few months after we were married everybody had the stomach flu and I got sick again but this time I had an autoimmune disease that was activated called Sjogren's syndrome as well as an autonomic disorder called POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome so I just started passing out all the time and it took about two years to get a diagnosis just because a lot of people with chronic health struggles would say that besides finding somebody to, besides getting into an appointment, the next hardest thing is finding somebody to believe you. Mm. And that was our situation as well. Mm. So when I finally found a rheumatologist who was like, yeah, this is, this is what's going on. And I was put on medicine. I, my life was changed. I was in bed for almost two years, like literally flat. I had to quit my job. I, I wasn't much of a parent, or at least I didn't feel like I was much of a parent. Um, blending a family was really hard. And it's also really hard when you're laying in bed and just are nauseous all the time. So that wasn't a storybook kind of situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, just a few years after that, we had one of our children come out to us and we found out through a pretty serious suicide attempt. Mm. And I was like, okay, like, I swear to you, the people that live three houses down, their lives are looking good. So what on earth is going on here? You know what I mean? Like, haven't I met my quota? Yeah. Um, and, and once again, trying to remember, that, no, that's just not how life works. Like they're, There's not a limit of life. It just is what it is, right? So so we started that journey as well, which was, 
I don't like to call that a trial just because I don't think that's fair for my child because they are certainly not a trial, but the expectations of what I thought our family life would look like versus what it ended up being were very different. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so now, you know, we're down the line a little bit and, um, and I, I got COVID a year and a half ago, which triggered lupus and, and they think epilepsy as well. So, so if I have to declare myself like a resiliency shape, I'm going to say it's round because I've been doing a lot of emotional eating over the last year and a half, (laughs) but I am really working on that. Um, and, and I, I guess, I guess my, my hope is just that, that people know that when, when rough things happen to them and it doesn't seem like the same amount or, or technical difficulty of rough things are happening to other people. The fact is we, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, right? We really don't. It was through my divorce that I started having women approach me to, to share with me what struggles were going on in their marriage, because perhaps I felt like the person who wouldn't judge them because I don't have a marriage anymore. And when my son died um, for a number of years, I would be approached by people who had had losses. And and it's tough in Utah when everybody seems to have 10 kids mm-hmm. just very easily. So it just never stays the same, right? Like that's life mm-hmm. for all of us. It is always changing. And... And what might feel really dark and really rough today will not always feel that rough. So for the last six years, I actually volunteer with Share Parents of Utah. Mm. I've led grief support groups and um, I've been on the board for several years. And I also am what's called a hospital companion. So we go into hospitals and mortuaries and birthing centers after a baby has passed, regardless of gestation, regardless of the reason why, our primary goal is just to go and support the family. We recognize that we cannot take it away from them, but we just want to let them know that there there is hope. It might not feel like that tomorrow or next week, but in time, things won't feel as dark as they feel that day. And so I spent a lot I spent a lot of the last six years doing share stuff and that has been really fulfilling and um, also trying to be an ally for the LGBT plus community just because there's a lot of ignorance if we don't have the proximity to somebody who makes different choices than we do. Most of us do not know a trans individual. I didn't know a trans individual before my son. And when he came out the way he did, I remember thinking to myself, I have already buried one child. I know what it's like to pick out a casket doing this again. Like there is no, there's nothing in this world that is going to take that bond that I have with my child 
away, period, end of story. And, and I, I unfortunately feel like that was a gift that came out of the loss of my son hmm. because I recognize that not every parent is to that place, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so here I am just trying to keep my house plants alive and, and serve where I can and um, <laughs> see, rest a lot and drink Diet Coke. <laughs> That's the answer to life. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, Julie. Thank you for being so transparent. Thank you for being so open and honest because I know, I guarantee that there are people that are listening and hearing your story and they're taking it in and they're saying like the up that a part of her story is my story. And and being able to hear these kind words and being able to hear these words of encouragement that it's not always going to be dark. Like that's essentially that message could change lives. And so I appreciate you sharing that. I, I'll i tell you that my out of everything that you shared, the thing that I appreciate the most is, is just that reminder that everyone has something. I mean, I feel like that is one of those adult life lessons that I have learned that you don't realize as a kid growing up and you don't realize as a teen and you may not even realize as a young adult because I think we live in a world where with social media, everyone looks like they have it all put together. Everyone has a clean house. Everyone has a nice job. Everybody's going on glorious trips. And then you look at your own life and you're like, how come I don't have that? How come everybody else looks like things are going so well for them? And that is, that's one of those things that I just, I, as an adult, I have learned to understand that some people and we all have different trials and some of them wear them on their shoulder. So they're very obvious and very clear as to what they are, sure. but some people do not. And mm-hmm. so we have no idea. We have no idea what people are living. And, and so we need to be kind and give people a little bit of grace because they may be dealing with their own demons that we just don't recognize what they are. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But can we, we can never go wrong with being kind, can we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to understand. We don't have to agree, but we can never go wrong with being decent to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned this as well too, but I, I had a very similar experience when I had a miscarriage and I remember being in that situation and thinking, that my world was coming to an end and that I was the only one that had experienced this and was feeling these feelings. And it's amazing when you open up about your life that people come flooding to you, like you said, you know, to be able to, I know that it's hard and I know to open up a conversation about something difficult or even traumatic takes a lot. But it's amazing to me that when you start to have a conversation, for me, having a conversation about a miscarriage, to hear all of the other people say, oh, yes, that happened to me as well, too, or I've had that situation multiple times, and realizing that you are not alone. And so I, you know, you you shared that um, that experience of having people flock to you and provide, you know, and all of a sudden finding yourself in that role of being the support because 
I think people know that they need other people and they gravitate towards, you know, those empathetic people. And so I, it's amazing what you find out when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and allow yourself to talk about those hard things. You know, instead of having really cute wreaths from Hobby Lobby on our doors, maybe we should have like, like true life vinyls. Like I've been divorced, we've been bankrupt, we've lost a child, this and that. Like knock on the door if you want to talk. Come to me. <laughs> right? Um, when, you, when you speak about your miscarriage, it reminds me of a really profound statement that one of my friends made in a in a support group some years ago, and that was that lots of times, and I and I could say this um, regardless of whatever we look at our trial to be, right? But lots of times we use the word, well, at least it wasn't as bad. Mm. At least it wasn't this. So I've I've heard people obviously say, well, I I just had a miscarriage. You you know had to pull your, pull your son off life support or, well, my, my child's gay. Like you have a trans son. Like I just have a gay child. And so my friend made the comment. She, she had had a later term loss and an earlier loss. Mm -hmm. And she said when she had her first loss for her, that was, that was her 10 mm -hmm. because that she had nothing else to compare it to. That was her 10. And when I had my loss of my son, that was my 10. Even though our situations were were different, the circumstances were different, mm -hmm. the ages of our babies were different, right? Mm -hmm. So I wish I wish we could kind of figure out as a as a group of humans how to validate that everybody's 10 feels like a 10 to them. Mm -hmm. And that and that our pain doesn't have to reach a certain level before we can kind of claim it mm. because a 10 is a 10. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it makes me think about, because I think when we talk about empathy, people think we have to have gone through the exact same thing as that other person. And that's not the truth. We need to be able to tap in to those feelings that we've had in, in an experience that we've had in our lives. It doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't even have to be in the same realm. It just needs to be, you can tap into those feelings as well. Agreed. Yeah. I absolutely agree. So Julie, um, you know, I think kind of going along with this conversation that we're having, I think so often People on the outside, friends, family members, neighbors, whoever that may be, they see that we may be struggling. And maybe so, so for your example, with um, dealing with that loss of your child, um, as being somebody that wants to support and to provide that help and assistance, what did you find was most helpful through that process that, that you received from others? Unfortunately, I probably have a list of things that were not helpful. That is longer. Which we than probably want to know too. Right. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I think my my lived experience has generally been that we do not like to see people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we do not like to see people hurt or crying, and that we feel like it's some kind of God-given duty to help sucker them in their affliction and make it go away. Mm. And I wish that we could figure out how to be more comfortable just letting people be where they're at. 
wherever that is and not try to um, religiously give dogma to help buoy them their spirits or to give platitudes that might be helpful in a year but really aren't right this second mm-hmm. that we could just let people cry and be sad and grieve and just just sit there with our mouths shut mm. like I think that would be my my biggest piece and don't get me wrong like I am a talker so I struggle with this with my own kids because I'm like I have so many things I want to share with you and tell you right but but doesn't everybody have their lived experience gives them enough wisdom to run their own life mm. versus having others try to run it for them mm-hmm. with their words of advice or encouragement. Yeah. And so my sister and brother-in-law and my mom, and I think my dad, we spent literally six months after my son died playing Settlers of Catan several nights every week. We did not talk about him. They just let me play a game and not not have to be in my world of grief that I was in 23 other hours of the day. Mm-hmm. And that was really important. Number, you know, unfortunately, I hate that game now because I'm tapped out, <laughs> right? But besides that, they kind of just unwittingly just let us be where we were they didn't try to fix it they didn't try to you know give us positive sentiments all the time they just allowed us to grieve and that that just takes time regardless of this what's what your grief is stemming from it just takes time and nobody can rush that I remember a few months maybe weeks ago uh, Jen and I interviewed a, a grief counselor and she essentially gave that same advice. She said, you know, nothing that anybody else is going to say is, is going to take that pain away. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, but yes, like don't worry about finding the right words because there are no right words Mm -hmm. at that point. It's just a matter of like, sit next to me and hug me and listen to me. And just like you said, just be there. You don't need to provide those fancy words that are going to take the pain away because that is not going to happen. So just be in the moment with that person. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Jen. I think there's lots of different situations as well that we do have that grief. It may not be losing somebody to death or whatnot, but it could be, I mean, that divorce, there was a sense of loss and there's a, a a grieving process that you have to go through. My um, stepdaughter came out as well. And there is a grieving process for that of what our idea was for her getting older and getting, you know, in relationships and things like that. And so there is that grieving process that you can go through. And I think that's one mistake that we make a lot is we think, oh, they just came out, you know, either buck up and, you know, love them or don't love them and push them off to the side. And it's not that easy. No, I, when my child came out, um, I 
I literally think that I cried every day of 2016 and 17. And, and, and they know that and it makes them feel horrible. But I share that just because I was grieving what I thought our future would look like. Mm-hmm. And my husband is very stoic. And he always tells me, Julie, every time we have expectations, we will be disappointed. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we can have expectations for is for ourselves. Mm-hmm. My struggle is, but I didn't even know that I had those expectations. Yeah, It didn't even occur to me that I would be sad about X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. right? Like when I got sick this last year and um, had to kind of pull back from, from some of the things that I had been able to, to start doing again, to feel like I had a normal life. I was like, Hey, I've already, I've already been through this grief of disease and can't live a normal life or go on a hike in the woods. Right. And then I was like, ah, but you expected that you had gotten to the point and that now everything was going to be fine. It never occurred to you. Well, you might actually get an additional disease or, or this might happen or this might happen. Right. And so I'm trying to be more mindful of only applying expectations to myself because that's all I can control. Mm. You know, for everybody else, it's just love. Mm -hmm. I do not do that well, perfectly. My kids tell me that I'm like the Barbara Walters of the family and I ask a lot of questions, but um, (laughs) but I'm working on it. I love Barbara Walters, that's a good thing. You know, I've shared. I'm sure I've shared this on our podcast before, uh, different on a different episode. But when I've talked about my daughter before, who has, who has hearing loss, and I specifically remember her therapist that she was working with, and she. This was uh, at this point in the appointment. She she turned to me because this was to mom. This wasn't necessarily to her, like you said. This was to me. I needed to remember this, but she said. You know, our goal for her is to find a way for her to allow her to live her best life. Mm. However, I need you to understand that her best life is going to look different than her sibling's best life. And it was such a good reminder to me that I cannot compare her experience to her siblings who do not have hearing loss. Like her journey is going to look different. Her, you know, her life is going to look different. And so I shouldn't expect those same things of all my children. And so for me, it was like a yes. Can I do everything possible to support her in this, you know, in this progress? Yes. But I've got to recognize that to some degree, that's out of my control. And that she's going to do whatever she decides to do in this life. And and and, and I'm going to cheer her on, right? And I'm going to be her best supporter. But yeah, I mean, those expectations, those are a tricky thing. Because I think we all have them unknowingly. No, it, I, I, I 100% agree. And thank you for sharing that. Because how different would motherhood be? If we didn't go into it, or if somebody said to us, look, these are what expectations can look like when you're given this precious little baby, mm-hmm. or when you marry and get these beautiful little bonus kids, right? These are what it can look like. But I want to remind you that your life and your journey are yours and theirs is theirs. And the mm-hmm. two generally are not the exact, they are not the same path. Mm-hmm. I wonder how differently I could have maybe dealt with some of the rough spots 
of raising kids if I had not taken their choices so personally. Mm. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That needs to be needlepoint on a on a pillow. <laughs> I, I would, but my arthritis is too bad. So I would just I would have to cricket it or something. <laughs> So, um, Julie, you mentioned your work with the share parents and, and obviously that has been something that has, uh, has helped you kind of work through this process, but is there anything else that comes to your mind, um, that, that you did as part of this journey to kind of help aid through that grieving process and, and, um, quote unquote bounce back (laughs) to an extent, well, I think I actually was I actually was at a beautiful watch party last night for two therapists who were unveiling a video that is 40 minutes generally for family on how to support their loved one who has gone through a loss. And something that they mentioned that I had forgotten about is that when we look at infant and pregnancy loss, we often think about the five stages of grief, Mm -hmm. but that those were initially written for the person who was going to die, not for Mm -hmm. the people who were in their support circle. And so instead of expecting that I've got these five stages that I might go through every one of them by noon, (laughs) a, a different way that, um, a doctor named Alan Wolfelt talks about is the stages of reconciliation. Mm. And I really appreciated being reminded of that because you've probably seen this, both of you have seen this in your work, the way that people might handle a a very similar situation can go from here to here. Mm. And everything between that would be on the, the normal part of the spectrum. Uh-huh. I remember one lost mom and at two weeks, she's like, I'm back at Vasa and I'm going to schedule in crying time into my calendar every day. And I just thought, oh, that's so sweet. Talk to me a couple of weeks after that. Right. <laughs> that, that's how she wanted to start because that, that, that gave her some control where yeah. literally for me, I didn't know what day it was. I had forgotten to bathe. I pretty much wore my house robe and I ate raw cookie dough every single day and that is how I initially coped mm-hmm. and so I'm grateful that people just let me be but mm-hmm. then also look for warning signs of when when you're stuck in the grief and building a house there rather than just being a visitor mm-hmm. I'm jotting that down literally as you say that because I'm like that is a great thing to remember. Yes, it, you know it's really. Don't you think it's really hard with any loss of anything that we thought our life was going to be like to oh, yeah. know how, how long can I be in this space before I should probably get some professional help? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of different for everybody, but obviously, some things I've learned from from other lost parents are. You know, when you're starting to have plans that that your life is not worthing and it's time to end your own life, right? Mm-hmm. That you've you've built a you've built a a pretty big structure in the place of grief, and it would really help to have somebody guide you past that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I feel like I was almost there, um, and that was really scary. 
but mm -hmm. but that's just where I was. Yeah. So if if this question is too intimate, then then feel free to disregard it. But did you find that? So did you yourself? Um, was therapy something that you got involved in, or that was just if needs be, then you had that open? I wish. I wish everybody in the world could have like a therapist on retainer or speed dial. <laughs> I, re I recognize therapists want and need boundaries, but. Um, we really need them, though. <laughs> but honestly, like, can't we all benefit from just having more tools? Oh, yeah. Or just to have somebody besides our mom or our sister or our best yeah. friend say, that's really normal. Because when it comes from somebody like that, somebody who's close to you, you're like, well, that's what you're supposed to say. Mm -hmm. And somebody who you consider to be a professional says, you know what, you are completely normal for, for where you are at in your journey. Then mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're like, well, they are, they are a brain surgeon. They are so smart. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely believe in the, the merits of counseling. Yeah. Sometimes just finding that person. I mean, I think we have our social support, but they are emotionally connected to this situation as well. And emotionally connected to us. Yeah. And so having that person that may not be emotionally connected to the event, I think is sometimes exactly what we need. Because you're right. Then they can see it in, you know more of a black and white logistical type uh, setting where we, or looking at it with maybe just heart, which I mean, obviously you need both sides of it. But yes, I think sometimes those friends and family are good. And I think that we need them for certain situations, but sometimes we need somebody that maybe is outside of that circle as well, too. I agree. I agree. So I I I I wanna ask, how how are you doing today? March 24th. <laughs> Today, or May, excuse me, if I can get the know, date right here. <laughs> um, today is a good day. My youngest, or our, I guess I should say our youngest, graduates from high school in two days. Yay! So I've already mentally stopped parenting, and I'm like, whatever, just whatever. <laughs> um, I actually started volunteering for the state of Utah in their cultural stewardship program, which mm -hmm. means that... So I, you know, all of us have heavy stuff, right? But we've got to find things that also bring the lighter parts of life. Yes. So yesterday I got to spend the day driving to the desert to look at some historical sites that I am a steward over now and listen to some John Denver in the car. And I was like, this day is perfect. It doesn't matter if I go home and I have insomnia or I have a seizure and tomorrow I wake up with a flare because I've been in the sun. Like this day was worth it. Uh -huh. That makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, I'm glad that today is a good day, and I'm glad that you've found those experiences in your life that bring you joy. But I think I that is something that we need to be better at is finding those little moments, and sometimes those big moments where we can say, you know what, I I, I feel that joy today, and and that didn't take away the hardship, right? Like it's still mm -hmm. going to be there maybe tomorrow, mm -hmm. but. I'm going to find joy throughout that process too. Yep, so. exactly. I agree. So as we're kind of coming to a close in our time, um, maybe my last question I want to offer is what final advice um, that maybe you haven't shared or you want to reiterate um, would you offer to 
families and to individuals that are going through a hard time, uh, whether that be a, an experience that you personally had yourself or just hard times in general? I'm not sure why, but I don't like the phrase, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't like it because it, it maybe gives a false sense of how short or long a tunnel really is. Mm. And so I, I actually did a mortuary call two days ago with the sweetest family, right? And I didn't have anybody come serve me in the hospital because my son died at primary children's, but I was still in the hospital at LDS hospital. Mm. And I wish, you know, I'm sitting here in the recovery of labor and delivery and the people next door have obviously just had the most amazing day in their life happen because everybody and their dog is in the next room partying and it is loud and it is exuberant and it is boisterous. And I'm here sitting here thinking my milk is going to come in and I have to plan a funeral for this Friday. Mm. I wish somebody could have just come in and been like, I know that. I know that you don't know how you're going to get through this. And I know that today it feels so dark and so heavy, but I just want you to know that there are other people who are a little farther along who are letting you know that it won't always feel like this. I, I was going to say, we just need to end with that because that was such a beautiful message. And before before you make Jen and I cry, I'm going to just turn it over to her. Because, <laughs> Julie, you are a fantastic human being, and I appreciate you sharing the story. And, yes, there's so many gems that have been shared today that um going to change lives. So thank you. Thank you very much. Very profound and... um great information and I I appreciate it it's not only going to help you know our listeners is those little pieces you spoke your truth and um, that is powerful and is going to change the way I view things so I appreciate that um, coming from you and you sharing that and being vulnerable and sharing your your experience I appreciate it so much um, I want to thank our listeners coming today and listening to our wonderful podcast. Hopefully you can um, take a lot of these gems um, from Julie and apply them in your life. At least try one. And we thank you and remember to be kind and patient with yourself. And we will see you here next week. Thank you for listening to the Parents Place podcast. If you would like to reach us, you can at parents at the familyplaceutah.org or you can reach Jen on Facebook, Jen Daily The Family Place. Please check out our show notes for any additional information. Our website is thefamilyplaceutah.org if you're interested in any of our upcoming virtual classes. We'd love to see you there.